DJ and PK reminding you, Valentine's Day is not far away. Flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with The Zone, can make it easy by visiting them at jimmysflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's Day is on Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. We're joined now by Will Guillory, New Orleans Pelicans writer for The Athletic. Will, good morning. Good morning, man. How are you? Uh, Were you good? We have many questions uh, about the Pelicans with the Jazz playing them twice in three days. And I I guess the first one is, uh, this is a slow start. Five and seven, expected more out of the Pelicans. Is that a problem with the Pelicans or is that a problem with people's expectations for the Pelicans? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think there was going to be some time where it, it took, you know, everybody to, to get a little more comfortable with what's going on down here with, you know, the changing coach. And, you know, obviously it was such a strange offseason. I think any team that had a new coach probably started off a little bit behind just because you didn't have as much training camp time. And, you know, obviously the, the Pelicans had a huge trade moving Drew Holiday, a guy that was here, you know, for so long. He was such an established part of this franchise. Losing him, I think it was – a much uh, bigger change than a lot of people realize going into the season. Uh, but I think they're coming along. I think Stan Van Gundy is putting his stamp on this team, but I still think it's going to take some time just for the younger guys, especially Zion and Brandon Ingram, to really take control and really you know, put their stamp on this team as the, the leaders for this group. So you mentioned Holiday leaving. Adams comes in. And those are two significant pieces, one leaving, one coming. The coaching change, obviously significant. Do you see any differences between what Gentry was trying to do as opposed to what Van Gundy is trying to accomplish? Uh, yeah, I would say a lot. <laughs> we, know, we all know Alvin Gentry is a guy who comes from the, the Mike D'Antoni uh, school of uh, seven seconds unless he wants to run up and down. He wants to score a whole bunch of points, shoot a whole bunch of threes. And Stan Van Gundy is almost the polar opposite of that. He wants a, a methodical team, a team that focuses on defense, a team that prevents teams from scoring at the rim. Uh, and you've seen the team, you've seen the Pelicans take a pretty significant step back, you know, frankly, on the offensive end. And with a lot of their numbers, with their pace, uh, with the way they're playing is much different. But I think defensively you've seen them make that a much bigger priority. The Pelicans are, you know, are arguably the best rebounding team in the league right now with Steven Adams and Zion down low. Uh, they're one of the better teams at protecting the rim. Uh, they've given up a whole bunch of threes this year, but I think that's a part of their strategy is they want to defend the rim at an extremely high level. And I think Van Gundy has put that into place. I think now they've got to get a little bit more consistent of what they're doing on the offensive end to match up with what they're doing defensively. But I think it's been a huge change uh, from a philosophical standpoint from what they're trying to do every night. And it's been a big adjustment to everyone around the team. So I'm curious, with a new coach and with a roster that skews a little on the young side, although Steven Adams is a veteran guy, uh, who speaks up when there's a five-game losing streak and something needs to be said? Who, who's the guy? I think J.J. Reddick would probably be one that I would point to immediately. We know he's a guy that's been around forever. He's a guy who uh, doesn't mind letting his voice be heard. Uh, you know, so I think he speaks up. I think Brandon Ingram is a guy they want to speak up more often. I think they've been pushing him to be a more vocal presence. We know he's a very quiet guy. He's not necessarily super comfortable in that role, but I think he's asked the staff to push him to be more of a vocal presence. So I think those are the two guys I would point to, J.J. and B.I. And I think B.I. in particular is a guy they're really pushing 
in every way to really take a step forward as the leader of this franchise, a guy that's going to be at the top of the hierarchy. And I think he's done that a lot with his play, but I think off the court he's still got some room to improve just because he's not used to being that guy all the time. As far as playing time, is Williamson unleashed at this point? Yeah, for sure. Uh, he played 35 minutes the other night against Sacramento. I think they want to give him the opportunity to play as much as possible. They want to push him to test his, uh, you know, his conditioning and you know just how he can handle playing those long stretches. And I think Sam McGunnier has done a really good job of managing his minutes. I know it was a big source of frustration last year for not how careful they were with his minutes. And he talked a ton about how you know he would it would just be in his head at times that he would kind of be out there for four or five minutes and he would look over and somebody's at the scores table for him. And, and it, it, it made it difficult for him to really get into that groove. And I think uh, they've done a much better job just kind of letting him loose this year. And I think he's much more comfortable in what he's doing. And you've seen as of late, I mean, the athleticism and getting back to where we used to see. He had a huge dunk against Sacramento, putting up really good numbers this year. So I think they feel really good about where he is. I think it's just a matter of kind of expanding his game more now and allowing him to do different things. We're joined right now by Will Guillory. He's the New Orleans Pelicans writer for The Athletic. Look at it. Who gets shots on this team? Uh, Brandon Ingram is leading the way. More shots than Zion Williamson, who's second. Maybe some people have flipped that, but I don't think anybody's surprised that those are the two guys who get the most shots up. But Lonzo Ball is third, and I think that surprises people. It doesn't pass the eye test. If you look at the numbers, the numbers don't really pass the test. Is he looking to take those shots, or defense is defending everyone else and kind of daring him to take those shots? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, I think teams, you know, when you look at their starting lineup, obviously there's not a whole lot of spacing there, and the Pelicans are putting the ball in Brandon Ingram's hands more often, so teams are going to dare Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball to put up shots. They're going to dare them to take three-pointers to beat them. And, you know, Lonzo's a guy who's very confident in that shot. He, he put in a lot of work to improve his jumper. I think you saw him make a jump last year before the you know season shut down because of COVID. And I think he, he got out to a really rough start this year with his jumper, and I think he, he wasn't making shots at nearly the rate that he was used to. And I think part of it was, you know, him dealing with a little bit of a knee issue that he sat out the past few games with. We talked to him yesterday, and he said he feels like a, a much better with his body and just how he's moving around on the court, so I'm interested to see how that will affect his shot. But I think, you know, with Lonzo overall, he wants to be a guy that can be, you know, close to 40% three-point shooter. He wants to be someone who could be a knockdown three-point shooter for this team when he's left open. And I think in the past he's proven he could do that for stretches, but I think he's got to be more consistent. And he's got to be more willing to put up those shots. I think the most frustrating thing for me watching him is just how often he passes up shots. And you said, you know, he's taking a whole bunch of shots this year, but I think he passes up a lot of shots as well. So I think, you know, he's got a big payday he's hoping to get, you know, after this season. And I think to get there, he's got to prove he can knock down those open looks when they're there. And if he's not, uh, there's some big questions. For what's the next step in his career and what he fits with this franchise moving forward? How realistic is the postseason for this team? I, I think it's still uh, up in the air. I think with the West, you know, things are so crazy. And obviously with the COVID protocols, any moment a team can lose the best player for two weeks. And who knows how that affects the rest of the standings. But I think this group is starting to get it together. Like I said, it was a huge adjustment for them with the change in philosophy with, uh, with Stan Van Gundy. But I think they're starting to figure out where they want to be. Uh, I think they're getting much more comfortable in what they're doing. So I think they're going to be right there in that mix for that 9, 10, 8 spot. Uh, I think 
you know, it's going to be you know, crazy in the West because there's so many good teams. But I think they're going to be in the mix. Uh, it's just a matter of, like I said, they just got to get more consistent with what they're doing offensively. Because it's too often they have these stretches during games where they just stop scoring and the ball stops moving. They're turning it over like crazy. And if you have that, you know, consistently throughout the season, I think they're going to have a hard time really getting into that playing game. But with the talent they have at the top of the roster, you got to feel like they got a shot at least. Are you surprised to see the Jazz third in the West and just a game behind the Lakers? I don't know. I, I, absolutely not. I think this is a team that, you know, they, they know exactly who they are. They're the, kind of the polar opposite of what the Pelicans are. They know exactly who they are, how they're going to attack teams what it takes to win games, their stars, you know, some of the best in the league, and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Obviously, Quinn Snyder is one of the, the top coaches in this league. So, yeah, I think the Jazz are constantly underrated in what they can do, and then they come out and prove people wrong every single season. And, and they're kind of, the, uh, in a lot of ways, I think the epitome of what the Pelicans hope to be one day, uh, just a beacon of uh, consistency and a group that knows exactly how they're going to win games every night. And I think it's Extremely fun to watch this team go to work, you know, once they're really locked in. Will, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys for having me on. Will Guillory covers the New Orleans Pelicans for the Athletic Jazz and the Pelicans tonight and then again Thursday. They'll play twice in three days, 7 o'clock tonight, and then the Thursday game's the late game because of TNT. It'll be on at 8. All right, PK, you hear about the Pelicans right there. Pretty much who you thought they were and a team the Jazz should be able to beat twice in three days. I actually thought they'd be better than who they are. I mean, he talks about them coming together. Well, before beating Sacramento two days ago, they'd lost five in a yep. row. So I'm not and, sure that And that run, the, the part of that is, uh, you know, okay, well, you had to play the Lakers and Clippers back-to-back, but that doesn't explain losing to the Hornets and the Thunder at home, both of them. That, do, that doesn't uh, that doesn't. There's literally up. no explanation. No, they should be better than that. And, you know, if those are the only two games that they flip all year, well, now you're 7-5 and five instead of 5-7, and seven, and it feels a lot different. So, you know, they, it, th- those two jump jump out when you look at their schedule and how did they get here and you know the Jazz are pretty good uh, defensively and when you put a guy out there who can't shoot I think it makes the Jazz really good defensively now they know who they have to help on help off of and they can play uh, five versus four and they got Rudy protecting the rim and you know Lonzo Ball just doesn't shoot the ball well (laughs) and that's a problem uh, okay, but I don't know that I can dump uh, their problems on him. Absolutely not exclusively. I'm just saying, what should the Jazz do tonight, and how should this go? And when I look at what he's shooting, and how many minutes he plays, and how many shots he gets up, I just think that's a big old advantage for the Jazz. He's shooting 31% from three. He's shooting 39.5% from the floor, and they're a pretty good defensive team. So when you give them somebody like that on the floor to work with, that would be that to have a really good defensive night. But you're right. Uh, it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing to uh, you know to to dump on. I, I think your I think your question about coaching and his answer uh, goes a long way towards what we've. It's just the reverse of what we're talking about with the Jazz. They know each other. They know the coach. They know the system, and and that helps early on. You got a new coach, and you got some new players, and you got a new system. So it is a struggle early on, you know. And I, I think that's. That's something that ought to get fixed here in the coming weeks 
Uh, Why? But some of the other things, well, the, the more time you play together, the more you ought to know the system and the more you ought to work that stuff out. But to the, to the degree that it's just a talent issue, that they don't have enough talent, yeah, that they don't have enough shooters, that part doesn't get worked out. That's what I said about basketball or in the last segment. I don't want to hear about the system. I want to hear about the talent. And outside of Ingram and Williamson, who do you have? I mean, Steven Adams is a nice banger yep. and a good board guy, and he's fine there. You know, he's got averaging 10 and 9. That's about who he is, right? He's not going to block many shots. But other than that, who Reddick do you demand the, off Reddick, their roster? Reddick should shoot the three better than he is. Uh, he's getting up there now. So no, so he just lost it? I don't know how, how much I'm going to see. He's a role player at best no. now. Uh, so, I mean, he's not like Clarkson. I don't expect him to come in and, and give you 20-some points off the bench consistently. I mean, I mean just I look at their roster, and it's a bunch of average guys. I mean, Bledsoe, he's okay, but all right, all right, he's okay. Ball, he's all right. He'll never be able to shoot. This is not an, an unusual issue with this kid. He's never been able to shoot. So I don't, I don't really see this team as being – all that I know that they were thought to be, but you know, I, I, to me, when I see a group going one way, I try to find the other way. It's just the way I'm wired, and I don't really have to work very hard to go to the other way with this team. The system, I don't know this. What they they, they change coaches. All right, it's now your turn. The music stopped, <laughs> and we'll and Van Gundy. What is this? His third or fourth team? And this is going to be the difference here? He's going to really just come into his own as a coach? It just seems like, uh, all right, he, his brother doesn't want to coach, and he does. So how's this going to end? If he's the coach in five years from now, I would be surprised. And this is his fourth coaching job after Miami, Orlando, and Detroit. And the last one ended below five hundred. Orlando trended the wrong way. Uh, he didn't get below 500, but it trended the wrong way. And I'm not cracking on him because it's about the talent. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure his basketball knowledge is fine. I don't. He's another one who likes to run his mouth on the politics because he's of the one that you can get away with that and everything's cool. Uh, so be it. You know, he has that right to do it. But his basketball, uh, give the guy some talent. And see what he can do. I just don't think there's enough talent on this team. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show coming up next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I just leave that with Rick and the docs and because of the protocol, we don't. it's a no-brainer from the coach's family. You don't have to think about it. You just have to go forward and make sure you have an answer if he's there and an answer if he's not there. Uh, I can't tell you 
from a medical standpoint, where he's at. I mean, I don't know that. So uh, that's their decision, and I just follow it. Chiefs coach Andy Reid right there talking about Patrick Mahomes, his availability, just a gigantic question mark for Sunday. Normally here, quarterback has a concussion, and I assume they don't play in the next game. Uh, I don't know the math on this, but I think that uh, when it goes public and all that, uh, and it's that bad, and a guy's pulled from a game, which obviously it's on TV, so it's public. Uh, that is, uh, <laughs> he's not playing next week. Now, really? maybe this one wasn't that serious. Do you, do you think a lot of guys get a concussion and play the next week? Oh, I have no idea. I haven't yeah. thought about it. Yeah, uh, and I don't have numbers to back that up, but that, that's my gut instinct. Uh, seeing that happen and hearing that is, wow. They're not going to have him. How, how, you know, it's so crazy. First off, what a call, you know, throwing it on fourth and one and locking up the game and never putting the Cleveland offense back on the field. But Mahomes gets hurt running the option on third and one. And, you know, it'll be interesting. Urban loves to run quarterbacks, too, and we're seeing more of that in the NFL, whether it's design runs or, or quarterbacks just taking off. Um, but they're so valuable. Your starting quarterback is so valuable. There's usually, not always, but usually such a big drop-off to the backup. Especially, yeah, I thought playoffs. the bigger thing on that was that Cleveland punting with about four and a half minutes to go on that fourth down. I thought they shouldn't have done that. Even though it was fourth, fourth and long, got to go for it because you might not get it back. Well, and I realized they were in KC territory, but KC's up by five. Probably not going to score a touchdown. Probably going to look to run the clock out and kick a field goal then you still have the opportunity to one-point, a one-possession game. So I thought it was a horrendous decision to punt the ball, and it seems like that has been obscured by the injury and the fourth and one, stand there in the shotgun and acting like your body language indicates you just want to draw them off sides, and then you're going to call timeout with one second on the clock and punt the ball. And that became the story, and... Uh, Andy Reid has cajones for throwing the ball in that situation, lining up in the shotgun, blah, 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 blah. We've heard all that, and that's all legitimate. But I thought it was a horrible decision to punt the ball. Watching that game, I'm thinking, why are you punting? Let them, even if they have the ball and they kick a field goal, you still can go and tie the game and have an opportunity to win in an overtime. Give yourself another shot. Didn't they, seem to work. They had been willing to go for it on fourth and one. They converted two on the previous drive and one on that drive. But those were all fourth and shorts. You know, fourth and one, fourth and three, that kind of stuff. Uh, this was fourth and nine, and they kicked away. And kicking it away when you had a chance to go for it on fourth down, it's kind of been a theme in these playoffs. Pittsburgh had a punt that drove a lot of people nuts in their game. Somebody else did on Wild Card Weekend. I'm forgetting who, but somebody did in a close game. And, uh, and it drove people nuts. I guess the only thing is this is fourth and nine. Um, Big deal, fourth and nine. So what? There's four nineteen to go. You're right, and they ran it out. Go so. run ten yards. For, I, I mean, fourth and nine. I mean, you're going to throw the ball. Uh, they, they, the Chiefs threw it on fourth and one. So go out there and and I, I just thought it was the bad decision. I thought it at the time, and it turned out to be. We talked a little football today. We talked a little basketball. There's basketball coming up tonight. Utah State is playing Colorado State. Aggies are 8-0 in the Mountain West. Colorado State is 7-1. The loss was to San Diego State. They split two games with them. The Aggies just split two with the Aggies. And right now it looks like a, uh, a three-team race for the Mountain West Conference title. Boise State is the other contender, and they're undefeated in league. And for the Aggies, it's funny. Larry Kristoviak was just talking about uh, – 
and not that everyone wanted to hear it, but he's talking about how they had to play so many games so quickly, and you know fatigue caught up with them. And I wonder about the Aggies because coming off that Thursday Saturday, now they have a Tuesday Thursday with the Rams. Of course, they're also on a roll. You know, <laughs> when you're winning, that might energize you a little bit. Yeah, nobody wants to hear it, man. So you played four games in eight days, whoop de doo or seven days. So what? <laughs> you were good enough for the Utah's case to be up by double digits, and then you ran out of gas. But you didn't run out of gas against Stanford. Come on. For the Utes, one and three on the homestand and four double-digit leads and three of them blown. They did win the game against Stanford, but Cal is just a horrible loss because they were next to last in the league with one conference win, and it was over a team that hasn't won a conference game at all. And you let him off the hook, and they scored 50 points in the second. You let him off the hook! <laughs> he did. Let him off. Denny Green, baby! <laughs> a classic. Love Denny Green. <laughs> I want my coach to care, and he cared. Yeah, Put him off the hook. (laughs) Larry took offense to the question, you take a step back. I took offense to the question because, yeah, you didn't take a step back. You you took about five steps back. (laughs) And BYU got a win over the weekend. They beat USF, and now uh, just keep putting together wins until you run into Gonzaga again. And then lose. Probably. That's (laughs) probably how that's going to work out. And for the Jazz, five straight wins. We spent a little bit of time talking about the Jazz that win over Denver. Yep, they missed a lot of free throws, and yeah, they gave up a boatload of offensive rebounds, but despite a couple of glaring things that can easily get you beat, they won. And uh, they didn't blow the game open, but didn't you feel like they were pretty much in control of that game during the fourth quarter? They took the lead for good late in the third off that Conley steal when he... uh, Came up from behind Jokic in the backcourt and poked the ball away and hit Clarkson. That put him in the lead. And it was it was a one point game at times, and it was a one possession game several times. But the Jazz never never let him tie it up. Never let him take the lead. Um, I didn't feel like they were in control. I wasn't sure. I mean, it wasn't anything close to a panic situation. But you know, I was of the mindset, wow, they keep missing these free throws. Normally, that's like walking guys, and the baseball gods don't let you get away with that. And when Conley misses the two after uh, preceded by Gobert. Gobert missing the two, I thought, wow, this thing might come back to bite him. And they're fortunate that it didn't. Uh, so they got away with that. And be, they just didn't shoot the ball well enough at the free throw line. But uh, as far as Gobert is an issue, but I don't, I don't think Conley is. I think that just, just – just something that happens. You just missed two free yeah. throws. You know, it won't be the last time, but it's most likely not going to happen that much. And so they were over uh, able to overcome that. But I look at Denver's team, and I just, man, to me, so far anyway, they don't seem to be as good. But I made this statement on television. I think Jokic is the best face-up center in the history of the game. You counting uh, Duncan as a power forward because he was really the only guy – who came to mind right away? He could face up and hit a 15 Well, Popovich counted him as a power forward, so yeah. why shouldn't I? Yep. No, you can. Absolutely. <laughs> no, because he, he played alongside a lot of centers. So, I mean, he's a guy, but yeah. see, it's, a, it's, you know, positionless basketball, and he could play two positions. So that's why you he can could. Count him. Yeah, you can count him. He, they did play him at power forward quite a bit. Um, uh, and I he, think actually that uh, Jokic is better. Okay. 
Well, he has more range, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm Duncan, talking about. Duncan would max out. I mean, if he faced up in that 12 to 17 foot range, he was going to make it. But he didn't. He didn't take a lot of threes. And I'm not saying yeah. he's a better player. I'm just talking about that one, one specific right. aspect. And there's so many great centers who are back to the basket guys. They didn't face up much. Right. Yeah. Right. So right. Yeah. It so it eliminates. It, it, yeah. And for years, that's not what those guys did. Yeah. So it's it's not really an outrageous statement because you're not going. I mean, you take Shaq out of it. You you take Abdul out of it. You, you, you take Bill a ton Russell, of guys. Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> You're taking out generations uh, uh, of centers, and so it really comes down to the guys who played the last ten years. You know, Mehmet Okur uh, could face up and shoot. Um, who other other centers right now who can face? I think up it goes shoot? back longer than that. I think you get like a guy like a Jack Sigma. Oh, that's uh, old school. I like it. That reverse it, pivot. Yeah. But again, he's not a guy who's shooting outside of that 10 to 15 foot range. Nobody much. did then, let right. alone centers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jack some other guys. I, I, I remember when I was a kid watching a lot of Knicks basketball, that guy named Jerry Lucas who, uh, who did that. And, and as I said, I, you know, I watched a lot of sports growing up. I wasn't watching Gilligan's Island that much. And where I lived, there was a lot of sports on television. That's why when I moved to Arizona, I had to go through withdrawals uh, because – Yeah, welcome to my life. <laughs> you didn't have – you know, where you, I, when I grew up, first 14 years of my life, you had pretty much two of everything. You didn't have a lot of college. College is just not that big of a deal back there with the sports, uh, but the pros. And so I watched a lot of Knicks basketball. And I remember Jerry Lucas shooting it. It was an undersized center. But there hasn't been a lot of them. But the point is, Jokic, my goodness, he, he is so highly shoot skilled. shoot it. He can yeah. shoot it. Yeah. But to your point, they lost three rotation guys, and that's a lot to lose. All those rotation guys matter. I think they miss Grant the most, but they, I think they miss all of them. You know? Yeah, and then Porter's out too right now. So Denver is 6-7 and seven after that loss. Not a good start for them. Half no. game in front of the Pelicans, who come in tonight with a 5-7 and seven record. Right. For the Jazz, five straight wins and six in a row at home now and winnable games here. Got the Pelicans in the first two, the Warriors on the weekend. The Warriors beat the Lakers, came from 19 down. It was still 11 going to the fourth quarter. And the Lakers really lost that game. And kind of between the, the five-minute mark and the two-minute mark, it got away something awful. I mean, they were still up seven with five minutes to go. And I guess that's an example where they were making mistakes and watching that goes back to your point about the Jazz and the Nuggets and missing free throws. Yeah, you're in good shape, but the basketball gods punish you. Who were the Jazz playing? They had a, maybe it was was it Detroit? They were up eight on somebody and somebody banked in a three and I remember thinking, and that's why you don't want to be in a one possession game. You know, eliminate the luck from it. And uh, they they won a game, and someone banked in a three with like two minutes to go. In another situation, it could have been a problem. You know, you miss free throws, and someone hits a lucky shot, and you can be in trouble. And for the Lakers, they did. They they played with fire, and they got burned. Well, I think that's the essence of the NBA. You've got Steph Curry, who's a superstar, Hall of Famer, right? But you got Kelly Oubre, who's not, but he's an NBA player. And so he gets it rolling for a game. And, you know, you got Wiggins, too. He's a decent player and all that stuff. And so on an individual game, they can bite you. But right now, 
with the Warriors being who they are and the Lakers who they're being they are, can the Warriors beat those guys four times? Because ultimately, that's all that matters. Is and if you are of a, of a team of a certain caliber, you know, if you're not a playoff team and you're just trying to get to the playoffs, that's one thing. But if you're thinking you're going to have some success in the postseason can you beat team xyz four times or they can beat you when the warriors can beat the lakers on a night where lebron isn't at his best for whatever reason all right yeah okay that happens we understand it but can they beat them four times the chances of them beating them four times is really no that's to me that's the blessing and the curse of the nba is usually when you have head-to-head, the better team, I think, in a high, high percentage, is going to win. Now, that's the blessing of it. The curse is that it's become somewhat predictable. Yes. And you can figure out who's going to win before the series even starts. So, in a in an NBA uh, playoff with, you know, the 15 series, 16 teams, right? And I know it's going to be different with the 7, 8, 9, 10 stuff. But once you get to the seven-game series the lower seed pulls off the upset between a quarter and a third of the time. You know, if there are five upsets uh, in a season, that is uh, relatively normal. Now, you brought up an excellent point earlier this year about the Jazz. You think they can get to number two. Right now, it looks like maybe there's a chance three, th- three teams are going to separate. Can they beat the Clippers and the Lakers eight times in the playoffs? I think most NBA people would say no, you know. No, they're probably not going to do that. And that's mm-hmm. where the regular right. season becomes important to a team like the Jazz. Can you win enough regular season games to get to one so you only have to beat one of them, assuming that those two fall to 2-3 and they don't fall further, uh, and then you only have to beat four? Can you give yourself a slightly easier path? Backdooring your way through the NBA playoffs is a really hard thing to do. It usually catches up with you because of what you just said. you got to beat a team four out of seven. So fluky and backdoor, it's usually just the better team. But at the same time, the path you give yourself can matter. Now, possibly the Jazz would get into a four-game series, and they would just, if they were the one seed, maybe they would just lose to whoever was the two-three seed. So, you know, good luck with that. But to your point, that eight, that, that eight game, that's, that sounds like a big task. Hey, beat the Clippers four times and turn around and beat the Lakers four times. That's the order they play them if, you know, based on how the standings stand today. Mm-hmm. That's a huge task. Well, Which the is same, the order I think will happen. Right. And, and that, but at the same time, you're a half game behind the Clippers and you're a game behind the Lakers. Well, you know, um, I appreciated his ability to go back and recall the ugly times when he really wasn't asked directly about them. He was asked indirectly, and that's why Donovan did it. But he said, you know, this is the kind of game. You know, he, he when they win, you get the, what does it say about this team? You never get that. No, <laughs> Nobody says after Utah and Cal. If they hired me, they would. Utes, what, do you, what does it say about this team? <laughs> right, and that's why they don't hire you, because they don't want that question. <laughs> hey, you just, at home, you just blew a double-digit lead for the third time in four games. What does it say about this team? Nobody in the media asks that. I know the media is, you know, bad people and ask mean questions, but nobody asks that one. But after a fifth straight win... What does it say about this team? Multiple times from multiple people. And Donovan said, well, what it says about this team is that we're getting better and we're figuring out what we need to do to win because earlier in the year, this is kind of the game we messed up against Minnesota. And then he was trying to recall the other games. I think he actually said Phoenix, which is the one I'd, of the four losses, the first one I'd give him a pass on. He forgot the two New York games, but those were the ones he was trying to recall in the moment. Well, and, those were home games he spoke of. Yeah. So, 
that's a good sign. And if you do clean that stuff up, maybe you give yourself an easier path. And maybe you don't have to beat two of them. You only have to beat one of them. You know, beating one of them might be too much to ask because four of seven is different than the regular season. But it's something to watch going forward. If these three teams are going to stay this close together, whoever gets the one seed, it would look like a clear advantage the way things are stacking up right now. It would, but at the same time, the team that wins, say it holds, the team that wins that 2-3 series may not goes into that final yeah. with all sorts of confidence. Oh, yeah, but the one seed may be better and may just not need it. You know, did you get the, did you get the one seed – because you uh, and it gave you an easier path, and that's why you pulled it off. Or did you get the one seed because you're just the better team? And if well, you'd been in the two three, you would have pulled it off, and you would have won the eight games, even though it's hard. The one who gets the one seed is the best team in the conference. There's too many games for it to be a fluke. There's individual games that are somewhat unexplainable. For instance, last night, although it's not unexplainable, LeBron was off. And the Lakers lost. All right, fine. And 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 Warriors got some good performances from guys who aren't consistent. All right. But over the course of 72, because I happen to think 72, there's really, in my mind, not a whole lot of difference between 72 and 82. The point is, you're playing a whole lot of games there. So you are going to be the best team in the conference at that point. And at, right now, I don't see the Jazz as the best team in the conference. That's interesting you say that, because just when you said that, it popped in my mind. How often does the one seed change in the last 10 games of the season? I don't remember it happening very often. I don't remember a duel for the one seed down the stretch. Maybe they're out there and I'm just blanking on them. But, you know, in baseball, despite the fact we have pennant races and they're exciting and all that, you know the stat, who's in first place on the 4th of July? You can name most divisions, whoever's there on the 4th of July, which is roughly 80 games in, Mm-hmm. They're the team that's going to be there after 162 games. Usually, yeah. Baseball is more about depth than it is an individual. All right, DJ and PK, that's some of the stuff we've been talking about today. One thing I want to mention about Donovan, uh, you know, we know he's had bad shooting first halves and then great shooting second halves, but didn't you wonder, one for ten, you're like, dude, you were really stinking it up shooting the ball. Are you going to turn this around too? And he was six of ten in the second half. So the answer is yes. Yeah. Yes, he is. One of ten to six of ten. He's going to turn that around too. I think we're at the point now where there's literally it doesn't matter how poorly it goes in the first half. It doesn't tell us anything about what's going to happen in the second half with him. How he shoots it in the second half will be based on how he shoots in the second half, not based on what we saw in the first half. If you can turn around one of ten, that's that's a that's a pretty that's a low low watermark right there, and he still turned it around. All right, when we come back, your feedback. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. When he was shooting from the corner and fouled by someone shorter, five foot five, the story goes. Cooper's at the line, but things ain't so fine, because Rudy never makes a stinking free throws. Rudy, take it easy. Sing it, yeah. How about that, PK? You even referenced Winslow in this show. Uh, you know, Kay's money, man. He, I know. He's the original money man because well, I think he Mehmet comes is. through. <laughs> I think Mehmet got no, that nickname No, first. when it comes to this, he's the money man. There's no one unlike him. This guy ought to go national, man. When we can start resuming concerts, I don't know if that's his wife or whomever it is uh, providing uh, co-vocals, but they, they need to get to Vegas in a hurry. 
There it is. Uh, we referenced Winslow earlier. Actually, you did because small world. It turns out there's another uh, another guy living your life. How <laughs> <Yeah>. dare he? <laughs> Saw a guy who had a Northern Arizona flag flying in his backyard, and I am uh, two years. I went to uh, NAU. And then I talked to him, and he said, yeah, I came up from California. I said, oh, as they say back east, whereabouts? And he said, I, I lived in a town where the sewage meets the sea, at San Pedro, which is where I live, man. This is incredible. As you guys would say, I bet you we knew each other before we came to this life. Flagstaff to Pedro to Utah. The trifecta. No, yeah. no jersey though, huh? That's the one. I don't know. He I'm a, you got to you go gotta find out if visit him. You got to find out if he's been to the Jersey Shore. That's that's <laughs> the key. Uh, feedback. We did get feedback from Ute fans. Uh, we we spent some time talking Utes. Uh, how can they turn it around? Two and five in the Pac-12. I mean, they've had disappointing seasons, but this one is shaping up to be worse than those. They got a three-game road trip here, and uh, I said that I just could not figure out. How they beat Stanford and lost to Cal. I, the, the Cal. I, I thought after that Stanford game they could beat Cal for sure. And then I had you fans explaining to me here on social media. Now Stanford was the outlier. They just they're not good. They're going to lose a lot of games. So losing to Cal isn't surprising. What's surprising is they took down Stanford, and that just shows you the expectations of hardcore Ute fans and how far they have fallen. That winning one Pac-12 game at home is seen as this outlier. Oh, I think Ute fans are furious. The hardcore Utah basketball yeah, fan, and I've known it. many over the years, I think that they have reached a level that's dangerous. It is becoming apathetic, and it's morphing from mad to apathy, from anger to apathy. That's a dangerous transition there. And I, I think, actually, this year, they're fortunate that there were no fans because I think they would have been booed. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think you're right about that. They would have been. Uh, too many home losses, too many big leads blown, and just blown instantly coming out of the locker room. It's, uh, it's a really weird time to blow a game at home. And now it's happened three times in the last four. Double-digit leads going away. Uh, Aaron tweets at us. A lot of people did. Uh, condolences. Uh, coach Engel, uh, BYU assistant basketball coach and uh, interim coach after uh, Roger Reed. So, so sorry. Loved Coach Engel and his enthusiasm for life. He radiated so much light and love. I love hearing him call a game. He will be deeply missed. Almost definitely, yes. Yeah. Passed away uh, over the uh, over the weekend. And then we've got uh, we got uh, someone cleaning up uh, what I just said. David says uh, Donovan's first year in the NBA. The Rockets and the Warriors went back and forth to the top seed. The Rockets finally took it, but they weren't the best team. Warriors knocked him out. So there is a, a duel down the stretch that I couldn't, I couldn't recall. Uh, is it a duel or is it a team just thinking, you know, we're just fine to be number two? Oh, I definitely think that was the Warriors' mindset at that point. I think the year he's referring to, you know, that, the Warrior team is really interesting. Most teams don't go through what they did. Uh, you know, they were out in the second round of the playoffs, I think. And then the next year they won the championship. That's a bigger jump than most teams take. And then they're winning 73 games, league record, but they have some injuries in the playoffs, and Steph's playing, but he's not 100%. And then Draymond Green 
loses his cool and you know misses game five when they should have been closing it out at home. And man, they let LeBron off the hook, and LeBron made him pay. And and Kyrie Irving hits a big shot, and the Cavs win in seven. And I think after you've been through that. I don't know that you worry about home court anymore. You know you're good enough to win a championship. You're beating yourself up because you're thinking you should have gone back to back. And then you add Durant. Yeah, you're not you're not so worried about seeding anymore. <laughs> At that point, whatever. We'll get there. We'll be fine. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. When uh, we come back, it won't be us. It'll be Scotty and Hands. They're coming up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.